0: This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Zero Bounce, an email validation system that integrates with all the major ESPs to make sure, hey, your mail doesn't bounce. Check it out at zerobounce.net. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Chance. My guest today is Mark Manson. He is a speaker and a blogger at markmanson.net and the author of the Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, and the new book, Everything is Fucked, a book about hope. So having thrown my PG rating out the window, I want to welcome you, Mark. <laughs> it's good to be here, John. So there is a Mark Twain quote that I love. Um, and I, when I quote people, I end up paraphrasing. I never get them right. But it, uh, he, he advised writers to, every time they were tempted to use the word really or very, to substitute the word damn. Because your editor would strike it out and your writing would be so much stronger. But not so much anymore, huh? <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> I'd like to think of these more as concepts than words. But I was walking by the uh, uh, the, the use of this language anyway. So um, I was walking by an airport bookstore the other day. And there's an entire section now that um, I think maybe you started of people using F with some variation of asterisk. Um, with all the issues going on in the world now, I mean, is, is cursing sort of become trifling?
1: I guess so. I mean, honestly, I'm kind of fascinated by it too. Um, I mean, clearly, clearly I've, I've kind of, I've struck, um, created kind of a brand and a bunch of people are jumping into it and, and kind of copying it. But it's, um, there seems to be something about vulgarity that like the shock value in it or, or the, the emotional charge in it that, that people are, are getting really excited about
0: for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, it might have something to do with some sales uh, that you've accomplished as well. Last time, I, <laughs> last time I looked, and I'm sure you have a more accurate, but I think I saw somewhere 8 million plus copies of The Subtle Art. Um, do you have any sense of why
1: that book exploded? I think it's a combination of things. Uh, I definitely, I definitely think it's part of it's the title it is it, it definitely grabs your attention um but i also think you know i i, I sometimes call my brand of self-help I, I i call it like a pessimistic self-help like it's it's a it's a personal development that is less about like oh we can achieve anything and it's it's more just like humans suck let's try to suck a little bit less and um i think there's there's something about the last few years that i think people are just feeling incredibly pessimistic and there's there's a cultural moment that's happening where uh where we're kind of becoming very aware of our own pessimism and so for whatever reason um my style of writing my my titles everything um it's really catching that wave right now
0: yeah and and for those who have the, the handful of people who have not read uh, any of Mark's work, um, you are very funny. You tell great stories that are very engaging, and so it's it's actually very easy to read. But what I what I enjoy the most is is you know you're reading along, you're reading along, and then you just like kind of zing us, um, and <laughs> you know, and it's a little bit. It's like like in this newest book, the uh, um, how to start your own religion. I mean, I was like, wait a yeah. minute, what is that? Is that I wasn't sure if you were kidding or not for a while, <laughs> you know, and, and, and that's kind of what I love about your style of writing, but I've got a really hard question for you. Sure. Not everybody sells 8 million books. What has that done to your life? <laughs> uh, What's well, made
1: my bank account a lot bigger. Uh, <laughs> it's funny. I, I, I was on another podcast recently and, and they were like, wow, man, so what tell it, come on, tell us, what would you go out and buy? And I. I was like, uh, I bought a
0: Nintendo. <laughs> well, well, here's the reason uh, I asked that. Obviously, it swelled your bank account, but I don't get the sense sure. that you're a person that necessarily seeks fame, and seek it or not, you've got it. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I I, I don't think it's changed my life a whole lot. Um, I, I actually tell, I tell people that I think being a famous author is the perfect mix um, because you are... Your work is widely known and appreciated, but people don't really recognize you on the street or, you know, if you go into a restaurant or anything. So you don't, you don't really get your privacy invaded uh, a whole lot. So it's, it's actually, it's kind of, I wish I could give you a really exciting answer, <laughs> but um, it's, it, it hasn't, I don't think it's affected that much yeah
0: so you mentioned the last couple of years seems like it's been a rough patch I think every generation probably thinks that theirs has been the, the worst time in history um <laughs> do, do do you find that to be true I mean that I mean you look at some of the divides going on particularly in the United States right now and I I, I feel like they're historically bad but yeah. do you think that I know you're a avid researcher do you think that that's the case?
1: I do think you're right every every generation. Does I mean because every generation, whatever problems face that generation, are completely new and and unexplored, and so there's a little bit of, I think, a sense of specialness that comes with each generation. What is what is interesting about today is that the level of pessimism or I guess just kind of hysteria that's going on is is not. Relative to how well we're doing economically, you know, the our economies are booming. We're safe. We're not at war. Uh, um, we're not being bombed by anybody. There's not riots in the streets. Um, it usually the the type of pessimism that we see right now is accompanied by some sort of like massive tumultuous thing that's going on. Um, but for whatever reason, that today it's not. And so I I just thought that was really peculiar and and that was kind of one of the starting points of the of the new book. It's like why basically like if everything's awesome, like why are we so upset all the time?
0: So how does admitting we're all going to die let us live a better life?
1: <laughs> I think uh, you know, facing one's mortality is a big principle in my work and it, and it's one thing I'm tr- I'm constantly trying to make the reader more aware of um, I guess their own insignificance. And and I think it's while while it's it's kind of a downer, it, I think it has a very liberating effect in that it's only by thinking about one's own death that we're able to really get good perspective on what's important in our life. Um you know if, if I start asking myself questions like, well, if I if this is the last year I'm alive, would I still be doing the same thing I'm doing? Um that presents a lot of clarity for the decisions that I'm making, um, and helps us kind of avoid traps and and falling into to, to habits that, you know, we wouldn't be happy we had in the long run.
0: There's some um, Victor Frankl certainly you have a you have a, um, a, a story about Auschwitz. Um, in mm-hmm. in the book, and Viktor Frankl was, I think, was in Auschwitz. Uh, Ellie Weiss yes. was in Auschwitz, and and I think I can't remember which one of these said this, but the the opposite of love is not hate; it's indifference. Um, hope is in the title yeah. of the book, and and you talk about the opposite yeah. of happiness is hopelessness. So, how do we wrestle with that?
1: I wrote a book about hope because you know, I think again, coming back to kind of this pessimism that's pervading everything today, um, I wanted to, to kind of investigate what it is about, what, what is it about modern life that is making it so difficult to have a clear vision of, of what, where we want to go in the future. Um, you know i think happiness gets discussed a lot and we all want to feel good and that's great and everything but really it's at the end of the at the end of the day uh we need to have some sort of hope for something greater for that happiness to ever emerge um and if we're not able to kind of construct that vision of something greater for ourselves um then we just end up in despair and so it's if we're angry or we're sad or we're anxious or upset or something, you know, that at least implies that there's hope of something greater. But if we're just if we just feel hopeless, um, then, then that that implies that there's no vision uh, for any sort of improvement.
0: I believe at least that, you know, a lot of people have hope when they feel they're in control of their situation. Um, you basically tell us that self-control is an illusion and that we all pretty much just have to accept our fate. Maybe that's, maybe, (laughs) maybe I'm paraphrasing, but, but I read that. Well, it's not
1: that, it's not that we don't have any control over ourselves. It's that, uh, our, so first of all, I agree with you that a lot of hope is rooted in, in an idea that, in a feeling that we have control over our fate. Um, the, the point chapter two is called self-control is an illusion. The, the, the point of that chapter title is that, um, we actually have far less control than we think we do. And we perceive ourselves to have total control over our lives. But, you know, anybody who's, uh, tried to start using their gym membership or, you know, maybe like cut something out of their diet quickly finds out that you have less Control over your behavior than you typically would like to admit and so the whole chapter kind of simply discusses Why why don't we do the things we know we should do? Why why do we seem to have such a difficult time? um, Acting on all of the stuff that we want for our lives Um, that we know is good for our lives, but just for some reason, you know, we can't peel ourselves off the couch or whatever. Uh, And it's, and it turns out it's, you know, our minds are, are kind of a messy place. Um, and it's, uh, there's a little bit, there's a little bit of an art to, uh, to, to getting ourselves, um, to act the way that we, we would prefer ourselves to,
0: you know, email, is still a very important marketing channel, but it's gotten harder to get in the inbox, even of people that want your email. Zero Bounce is an email verification system that will validate your opt-ins. Check them out at zerobounce.net. They integrate with all of the major services that you might be using already, like MailChimp or HubSpot. Check them out at zerobounce.net. My favorite part of that chapter is that you... uh told a little story about Tom Waits one of my favorite singer songwriters um, you know old 55 changed my life <laughs> I love Tom <laughs> so one of the one of the things that I see frequently particularly you know you get to a certain like you're not living on the streets <laughs> you know you, you've got a nice job you've got a nice house you've got a nice car I mean we go out of our way to make sure that we don't do anything that's un- uncomfortable yeah. A, lot, a lot of people anyway um and you talk quite a bit about not necessarily the need to suffer but the benefit of suffering you want to unpack that a little
1: yeah i i think in, in this discussion of why why have we seemed to be so pessimistic today um i spend a couple chapters talking about comfort and talking about pleasure and, and avoiding pain and Essentially, the the short version is that I, I come to the conclusion that you know the same way we need to like our muscles need to be stressed and and strained a little bit uh, on a regular basis to to grow and improve and and maintain health. Um, I think our our emotional and our psychological muscles, so to speak, need a certain regular amount of stress and strain um, to also remain healthy and and robust and my my fear is that so much of the 21st century world is built around convenience and immediacy and and instant gratification um that we're not getting those those reps you know where our part of our mental health is is essentially just atrophying from uh, lack of regular exertion.
0: Yeah. I read somewhere, um, I can't remember actually who the author was, but, um, and there may be some physiological benefit to this, but he talked about taking a cold shower in the morning. Um, yep. and, and the, the benefit of it was that, that you were going to suffer some right off of the you know, beginning, <laughs> beginning of the day and that that was going to sort of then set the, the benchmark for the whole day. Again, there may be some actual physiological benefits too, but he was talking more mental.
1: Yeah, I, I think there there's a lot to be said. I, I think the same way, you know, like fifty years ago we discovered uh you know, nutritional science started to figure out like, oh hey, you can't eat cupcakes every day, like that's bad for you. <laughs> it's it's I think we're starting to discover just in the last few years that um some mental habits that we have. Um, whether it's phone usage or social media or, you know, where we get our information it is, has kind of the same effect on us mentally. And so I think there needs to be kind of an informational diet in terms of um, making sure that we're we're challenging ourselves, um, challenging ourselves intellectually, but also challenging our own beliefs, you know, challenging a lot of our assumptions about our relationships and the world and things like that, um, and that we need that to a certain degree to, to maintain a healthy and balanced, um, psychological worldview.
0: Yeah. I, I wonder to what degree we can blame mobile devices and social media for people being so freaked out lately.
1: I think, you know, th- this is a hot, hot topic right now. And, um, it's funny cause there's a lot of data that shows a lot of really scary stuff. And then there's a lot of data that shows a bunch of nothing. And, um, the, the jury's kind of out, but I, I, my sense is that, um, you know, social media is probably only really bad in very large doses, um, or for very young people. Though that seems to be the most clear pattern amongst the data on social media. Interestingly, I think uh, the smartphone thing might actually be a bigger culprit here. I think it's it's the constant instant access to everything you want. That actually, you know, creates more uh, psychological issues and, and emotional issues than necessarily Facebook.
0: <laughs> I remember when I was growing up, you know, I'd like all kids, Mom, I'm bored, and she used to say, well, to and she used to say, well, good, you should be, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you need to be, it's healthy. Uh, but you know, now we can't, we just can't allow ourselves that moment of boredom, can we?
1: Yeah, and it's and there seems to be you know, with, with that, that unwillingness to be bored a little bit, um, there also comes this kind of lack of attention, lack of focus. Um, and, and also this, you know, this, I think it it causes us to be a little bit more emotionally volatile, um, than we would be otherwise.
0: I am a big fan of Thoreau's writing and, uh, I love this quote from, I'm not sure actually where it appeared, but we ignore the God inside us in an effort to venerate the God that would not exist without us. Um, hmm. You take on religion a little bit, um, or at least the organized fashion of religion as mm-hmm. um, a little bit of a, I don't, I don't know if you want to say enemy, but as something that also kind of freaks people out.
1: Yeah, it's funny, the... So there's a chapter on, you can't really write a book about hope without writing about religion. <laughs> and so I've I've avoided touching religion for pretty much my whole career. Um, but I, I felt like this book was finally the place to do it. Um, I, I have a couple points about religion. You know, one, first of all, I'm an atheist, but I'm not necessarily, I definitely am not super critical of organ like traditional religions themselves. Um, I think they, there's a lot, I understand why, why people believe in them and, and, and a lot of the the benefits and meaning that they get from them. Um, for me, what I, what the points I wanted to make with that chapter is one, I don't think there's actually, it's actually kind of the opposite of atheism, which is that I don't really think it's possible for us to not behave religiously to some extent. You know, even if you don't worship like a traditional god um, or go to church, y- you're still buying into certain groups and belief systems uh, largely on faith that they are important, they matter, and that they're they're going to make the future better. They're, you know, they provide hope for you. Um, and anytime you buy into kind of this set of belief systems or set of constructs on faith, uh, you end up, uh, creating alliances with other people with, with, who share those values and then also defending those beliefs, um, against other people. And so I, I cast a very wide net in terms of like how I define religion, you know, something as simple, like something political parties, sports teams, um, you know, even being a fan of a TV series, like these can all be religious experiences in that there's a mythology that we were putting our hopes in. And then we are organizing ourselves around those hopes together and, um, finding meaning in them. And, you know, this is fun. It's a fundamental human behavior. We all do it. Uh, but as with every human behavior, it has A lot of benefits but it also has a lot of costs and so um, a lot of people just over the years a lot of people I'm always being emailed by very religious people saying like well you know uh, X book that defines my whole religion like said a bunch of this stuff (laughs) before you did And and it my approach has always been like well of course it does you know because this is this is just how the human mind works and the reason these religions have been around so long is that they, they manage to help orient people very well towards the world. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of a, a trippy chapter and um, I've, definitely, I've, I've definitely lost some readers over it, but I've, I've been prepared to make that sacrifice.
0: I thought we were just gonna lose the Catholics, but now we're gonna lose Game of, Thro- Game <laughs> of Thrones fans and, uh, and the New England Patriots fans all in one shot. <laughs> <laughs> one chapter. Great. So, so Well, we're we're probably better off without them. <laughs> <laughs> so the political messages today seem to be everything is screwed up and it's not your fault, it's them. Um and and I think that that yes. mentality seems to be at the root in some ways of all this sort of discontent.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and it's one of my big goals with this book um because one of the things that surprised me and made me very happy about the success of subtle art was that I I had very I have very large fan bases on both sides of the political spectrum. Um, and especially, you know, in, in 2019, there are not many people who are able to speak to both sides um, without being skewered in some way. And so I, I was very I very consciously wrote this book uh to kind of speak up to both sides at once and say, hey, it's not quote unquote them that are causing the problems. It's us. Like we are the problem. (laughs) Like there's nothing special about that person you hate or that person you hate. It's, it's us. This is a cultural issue. Um, and we, we have to come together to solve it.
0: The final chapter, you talk about, um, AI. And and I think you even go as far as calling it the final religion. Um, when I read that, you know, I'm a I'm into technology. I like to know the new kind of things going on. But the further I got into that chapter, I couldn't decide if I was hopeful or if I if that actually caused despair. The idea of that, yeah. And I and I, and I couldn't tell really where you were coming down on that. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I'm strangely I I'm
1: in a very weird spot with AI. I I think most people. There, there are people who are, I guess, uh, terrified of AI who think that AI is going to kind of overthrow the world or, order and we not, we may not make it out alive. Um, and then there are kind of AI utopists who think that AI is going to, you know, we're going to merge with the AI and everything's going to be amazing and we're going to solve all of our problems. Um, and I, I think the reason I called it the final religion is because essentially all of these other issues that we struggle with today on all these other uh, places, all these other places that we try to find meaning, um, once once general intelligence surpasses human intelligence, um, it's going to render all these other questions either obsolete or um, it will advance them so quickly that we we we're not going to be able to keep up. Um, and so, I felt like it was a natural endpoint. As much as it's blindsided a lot of readers, I felt like it was a very natural endpoint for the book. And um, I personally think you know AI is probably going to render us obsolete. But I find that to be very hopeful because, for one, I don't. I, I believe I I. I believe morality is very much based in rationality. I think it's it's the best aspects of ourselves come when we are, are able to sit down and think and be compassionate. Um, and if the AI surpasses us in a, intelligence, then it's probably gonna surpass us in its understanding of morality as well. One of the points I make in the book is like, look, (laughs) like we're, we're the ones who commit genocide. We're the ones who, uh, you know, beat and abuse and enslave each other. Uh, you know, we don't really, in terms of an ethical argument about AI, like we don't really have a leg to stand on. Um, and it's, if this greater force comes along that we're not able we're no longer able to comprehend and they start organizing a world in which a lot of these religious conflicts and us versus them dichotomies fall away um then i think that's better for everybody even if we're not the ones in charge anymore so i'm a i'm kind of like this misanthropic ai supporter <laughs>
0: I mean, there are those that would argue that it could actually amplify those things that you talked about as opposed to making them go away. But I mean, I guess that's the challenge with any technology.
1: It is. It it is. It could amplify. I mean, and it could amplify um, up to a degree. And then I think once it surpasses us, you know, maybe it comes back on the other side. But the the other thing I I wanted to explore in that chapter that I, I haven't really seen talked about anywhere is that um, you know, traditional religion emerges from, uh, from mystery. You know, it's, it's when humans don't understand something we make up, we come up with a lot of, um, I guess, supernatural explanations. You know, it's like, if you dance this way, then it's going to rain next week. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed exploring this idea of like once AI takes over, like we're not going to have any idea what the hell is happening anymore. You know, cars are going to show up and drive us somewhere and drop us off in a building. There's going to be people there, and we're gonna we're not going to know why any of this stuff is happening. Um, and so it's it in a kind of weird irony, we might start returning to a lot of this kind of religious behavior of of like cavemen and stuff it's like oh well if you wear this shirt the ai gods will will put favor on you and and (laughs) they'll they'll take care of your family so you know be sure to say this when the car comes um i don't know for some reason i think it's hilarious but (laughs) a lot of people have emailed me and been like dude (laughs) that
0: is dark (laughs) Uh, yeah i don't i didn't find it dark I, I think what, what you just the word you said mysterious. It just really kind of shows th- yes. that it could be a different world. <laughs> um which and, which and maybe I, is unsettling to some. I and and I think it I think it will be.
1: You know, all this joking and uh uh you know the religious talk aside, I think it really is going to be a different world. Um and I think it's it's gonna be different in such a way that we can't really um, comprehend what the issues and divisions are going to be when it comes.
0: So Mark's books can be found pretty much anywhere. In fact, I have a, 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 this is a personal question. Many of my listeners may not care about this, but I noticed your recent book, uh, Harper brought it back out in paperback and hardcover at the same time. Was there any thought in that? Uh, Well,
1: they're doing this thing. It drives me crazy, man. So they uh, they do these things called Harper Lux. And it, it's basically large print editions. Um, they're paperback, but they're large print editions. So it's like 500 pages. The the fonts are blown up really big for people with like poor eyesight. Uh, Amazon keeps categorizing them as paperback, even though they're like these special editions for people with bad eyesight, um, and so people keep buying them, thinking that they're the paperback, and then they show up and they're these big fat like six hundred page books with giant text.
0: <laughs> I've got another another funny story for you on uh, my first book uh, published two thousand seven by Thomas Nelson, who is um, now owned by Harper. Um, or they're all owned by each same company probably. But, um, <laughs> the, the, my first book, um, they, they had very few edits, but one of them is they wanted me to take the word crap out of uh, the, uh, <laughs> the text. So I thought you would enjoy that. Wow. <laughs> How far we have come. <laughs> <laughs> so Mark, it was a pleasure, um, Meeting you in this uh, format and uh, learning uh, your thoughts and deeper thoughts on your writing and uh, people check out Mark's work. As I said, the books will be sold in, are sold pretty much anywhere you can buy a book and uh, you might want to follow markmanson.net. Any, any other places you want to invite people? Uh, no, that's it. I did it all. All right. Awesome. Mark, thanks so much. Hopefully, we'll run into you out there on the road sometime. All right. Thanks, John.